The Hobbit, Part 4, by J.R.R. Tolkien. It was nearly evening when Bilbo stumbled and fell in a faint on the doorstep of the tunnel. The dwarves revived him and doctored his scorches as well as they could. But it was a long time before the hair on the back of his head and his heels grew properly again. As he sat on a rock outside the tunnel, he related the account of his meeting with Smog. An old thrush was sitting on a rock nearby with his head cocked on one side, listening to all that was said. Bilbo picked up a stone and threw it at the thrush, which shows what an ill temper he was in. Drat the bird. I believe he's listening, and I don't like the look of him. Don't leave him alone. The thrushes are good and friendly. This is a very old bird indeed, and is maybe the last left of the ancient breed that used to live about here, tamed to the hands of my father and my grandfather. They were a long-lived and magical race, and this might even be one of those that were alive then, a couple of hundred years or more ago. The men of Dale used to have the trick of understanding their language and use them for messengers to fly to the men of the lake and elsewhere. Well, he'll have news to take to Lake Town, all right, if that's what he's after. Oh, do get on with your tale, Mr. Baggins. I'm sure Smog knows we came from Lake Town and had help from there. I have a horrible feeling that his next move may be in that direction. I wish to goodness I'd never said that about Barrel Rider. It would make even a blind rabbit in these parts think of the lake men. Well, it can't be helped. It's difficult not to slip in talking to a dragon. Or so I've always heard. I think you did very well, if you ask me. You found out one very useful thing, at any rate. It may be a mercy and a blessing yet to know of the bare patch in the old worm's belly. Then their talk turned to the great horde itself and to the things that Thorin and Balin remembered. And Thorin told them of the fairest treasure of all, the white gem which the dwarves had found beneath the roots of the mountain, the heart of the mountain, the Arkenstone of Thrain. It was like a globe with a thousand facets. It shone like silver in the firelight, like water in the sun, like snow under the stars, like rain upon the moon. All the while they talked, the thrush listened, till at last when the stars began to peep forth, it silently spread its wings and flew away. I'm sure we're very unsafe here, and I don't see the point of sitting outside. I feel in my bones that this place will be attacked again. Smog knows now how I came down to his hall, and you can trust him to guess where the other end of the tunnel is. He'll break all this side of the mountain to bits, if necessary, to stop up our entrance, and if we're smashed with it, the better he'll like it. Well, you're very gloomy, Mr. Baggins. Why hasn't he blocked the lower end, then, if he's so eager to keep us out? I don't know. Maybe because he doesn't want to damage his bedroom. Ah. But Smog will be coming out at any minute now, and our only hope is to get well into the tunnel and shut the door. Yes, yes, all right, everyone inside. Come on, let's do as Mr. Baggins says. How will we get the door open from the inside? If we can't get it open again, the only way out is through the dragon's lair. Shut the door! I feel that dragon in my marrow shut the door before it's too late. Do as he says. There's no trace of a keyhole on the inside. What? We're shut in the mountain. It's smog. Quick, further down the tunnel. Quick, move down. They had not shut the door a moment too soon. The rocks boomed, the walls cracked, and stones fell from the roof on their heads as the mountain felt Smog's fury. He was breaking rocks to pieces, smashing wall and cliff with the lashings of his huge tail. Your feet came from the water side, and up the water you came with the help of the lake man. Now they shall 
Then Smog rose in fire and went away south towards the running river. The dwarves sat in darkness and utter silence fell about them. Little they ate and little they spoke. They could not count the passing of time, but after what seemed days of waiting, Thorin spoke. Let's try the door. I must feel the wind on my face soon or die. I think I'd rather be smashed by smog in the open than suffocate in here. Oh, crap. It's the end. Come, while there's life, there's hope, as my father used to say. I'm going down the tunnel again. It's the only way out, and I think this time you'd better all come with me. But the dragon... We'll all be eaten. Roasted! We haven't heard him below. There may be no smog at the bottom, but then again, there may be. We'll just have to see for ourselves. Uh, we have no choice. Lead the way, Mr. Baggins. Now be as quiet as you can. If smog is there, we don't want to announce our coming in a herd. Down, down they went. The dwarves made a deal of puffing and shuffling which echoed alarmingly, but not a sound stirred below. Near the bottom, Bilbo slipped on his ring and went ahead alone. But he did not need it. The darkness was complete, and they were all invisible, ring or no ring. In fact, so black was it that the hobbit came to the opening unexpectedly, put his hand on air, stumbled forward, and rolled headlong into the hall. But nothing moved. There was not a spark of dragonfire. Stop playing hide-and-seek. Give me a light, and then eat me if you can catch me. Now I wonder what on earth Smog is playing at. He's not at home today, or tonight, or whatever it is. If Owen and Glowen haven't lost their tinder boxes, maybe we can make a little light and have a look round before the luck turns. Light! Can anybody make a light? Light! 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 There's nobody here! Light! What is Mr. Baggins shouting about? He'll have the dragon back if he's not there now. Glow, make a torch for Mr. Baggins. Smog isn't home, so we'll have a look about the place. Here, give me a light. You go ahead, Mr. Baggins. You're our official burglar and investigator. We'll wait here in the tunnel for your report. The dwarves sat near the door and watched as Bilbo moved across the floor, holding his tiny light aloft. Every now and again, while he was still near enough, they caught a glint and a tinkle as he stumbled on some golden thing. The light grew smaller as he wandered away into the vast hall. Then it began to rise, dancing into the air. Bilbo was climbing the great mound of treasure. Ah, what's this? The Arkenstone, the heart of the mountain, just as Thorin described it. I'll just tuck it away in my pocket. Now I'm a burglar indeed, but I suppose I must tell the dwarves about it sometime. Now I'll climb down and take a look in the great passage on the other side. I can't see his light. He's 
the top of the treasure mound. But where is Smog? What on earth or under it has happened? Well, certainly not the dragon, or he wouldn't go on squeaking. He's lost his light. Come, one of you, get another light. It, it seems we've got to go and help our burglar. It's about our turn to help him, and I'm quite willing to go. Let's all go. I expect it's safe for the moment. Come on. All right, sir. Mr. Baggins? Only a bat and a dropped torch. Nothing worse. Oh, look at that treasure! Those golden hearts are still in tune! And look at these coats of mail. Look. And these golden bowls. Oh, I only wish they had something to eat in them. What jewels! Look at this! Oh! Mr. Baggins, here is the first payment of your reward. Now cast off your old coat and put on this. It's a small coat of mail. Wrought for some young elf prince long ago, I'll bet it's made of silver steel, which the elves call mithril. And a belt of pearls and crystals. And a helmet of figured leather studded with white gems. Here, try this on, <laughs> Mr. Baggins. <laughs> Uh, oh, I feel magnificent, but I expect I look rather absurd. Not at all, Mr. Baggins. You look, in fact, very grand. Well, we are armed, but what good has any armor ever been before against Smog the Dreadful? We have tempted luck too long. We'd better finish our escape. You speak the truth. Let us go. I will guide you. Not in a thousand years should I forget the ways of this palace. Holding their torches above their heads, they passed through the gaping doors, not without many a backward glance of longing at the mighty treasure hoard. They passed through the great chamber of Thror, with rotting tables and chairs and benches lying overturned. Skulls and bones were upon the floor, among flagons and bowls, and broken drinking horns and dust. They passed the dark opening in a wall of rock where a spring of water gushed forth to give birth to the running river. Then a light shone ahead, and round a wide sweeping turn they stood in the broad light of day. Well, I never expected to be looking out of this door, and I never expected to be so pleased to see the sun again and to feel the wind on my face. It must be well past breakfast time. Smog's front doorstep isn't the safest place for a meal, but let's go somewhere and sit quiet for a bit. I think I know which way we should go. We ought to make for the old lookout post at the southwest corner of the mountain. How far is that? Um, five hours' march, I should think. It'll be rough going, even if the old steps are still there. More walking and more climbing without breakfast. I wonder how many breakfasts and other meals we've missed inside that nasty, clockless, timeless hole. Ah, come, come. Don't call my palace a nasty hole. You wait till it's been cleaned and redecorated. That won't be till Smog's dead. In the meantime, where is he? I hope he's not up on the mountain looking down at us. We, we must move away from here. I feel as if his eyes were on the back of my head. It's a cold, lonesome place. There may be drink, but I see no sign of food. A dragon would always be hungry in such parts. Come on, come on. Let's follow Balin's path.
Now if you wish, like the dwarves, to hear news of Smog, you must go back to Lake Town on the evening when he smashed the secret door and flew off in a rage two days before. That's a cold night to be watching, and that's certain. Uh, not much to see. Unless there's more fire on the lonely mountain tonight. Uh, something's happened up there. Last night, the watchman saw the light start and fade from midnight until dawn. Look, the lights again. See? Look uh, at them. Perhaps the king under the mountain is forging gold. It's long since he went north. It's time the songs began to prove themselves again. Which king? As like as not, it's the marauding fire of the dragon, the only king under the mountain we've ever known. Uh, you're always foreboding gloomy things. Anything from floods to poison fish. Think of something cheerful. Ah, look again, look, the light is closer. The northern end of the lake is turning gold. The king beneath the mountain. The river is running gold from the mountain. The dragon is coming or I'm a fool. Cut the bridges. To arms. To arms. The grim-voiced fellow ran hot-foot to the master. Then warning trumpets were sounded. Every vessel in the town was filled with water. Every warrior was armed. Every arrow and dart was ready, and the bridge to the land was thrown down and destroyed. Then the roar of Smog's terrible approach grew loud, and the lake rippled red as fire beneath the awful beating of his wings. Amid shrieks and wailings and the shouts of men, he came over them, swept toward the bridges, and was foiled. The bridge was gone. And his enemies were on an island in deep water, too deep and dark and cool for his liking. The lake was mightier than he, and it would quench him before he could pass through. Roaring, he swept back over the town. A hail of dark arrows leaped up and snapped and rattled on his scales and jewels, and their shafts fell back, kindled by his breath, burning and hissing into the lake. The grim-voiced man... Bard was his name, ran to and fro, cheering on the archers and urging them to fight to the last arrow. Fire leaped from thatched roofs and wooden beam ends as smog hurtled down and passed and round again, though all had been drenched with water before he came. A sweep of his tail and the roof of the great house crumbled and smashed down. Flames unquenchable sprang high into the night. Another swoop. And another, and another house, and then another sprang afire and fell. And still no arrow hindered Smog or hurt him more than a fly from the marshes. Already men were jumping into the water on every side. Women and children were being huddled into laden boats. Weapons were flung down. Soon all the town would be deserted and burned down to the surface of the lake. But still the company of archers led by Bard held their ground. He was a descendant in long line of Jirion, Lord of Dale. He shot with a great yew bow till all his arrows but one were spent. As he bent his bow for the last time, something fluttered out of the dark to his shoulder. It was the old thrush which perched by his ear and spoke to him. for the hollow of Smog's left breast as he flies and turns above you. The large patch is unprotected by his thick scales and hard jewels. Ah, Black Arrow, I have saved you to the last. You have never failed me, and always I have recovered you. I had you for my father and he from of old. If ever you came from the forges of the true king under the mountain, go now and speed well. The dragon swooped once more lower than ever, and his belly glittered white in the moon with sparkling fires of gems, but not in one place. The great bow twanged. The black arrow sped straight from the string, straight for the hollow by the left breast where the foreleg was flung wide. 
In it smote and vanished, barb, shaft, and feather, so fierce was its flight. With a shriek that deafened men, felled trees and split stone, smog shot spouting into the air, turned over and crashed down from on high in ruin. Full on the town he fell, splintering it to sparks and gleeds. The lake roared in. A vast steam leaped up, white in the sudden dark under the moon. There was a hiss, a gushing whirl, and then silence. And that was the end of smog. Fearfully, Thorin and company watched and waited for the dragon. From the old lookout high above the front gate, the dwarves noticed the birds were gathering. Something strange is happening. The time is gone for the autumn wanderings, and yet there are flocks of starlings and finches, and far off there are many carrion birds as if a battle were afoot. There's that old thrush again. He seems to have escaped when smog smashed the mountainside. I believe he's trying to tell us something, but I can't follow the speech of such birds. Can you make it out, Baggins? Mm, not very well. Uh, we may not understand him, but that old bird understands us, I'm sure. I only wish he was a raven. There used to be great friendship between them and the people of Thror. They often brought us secret news. I knew many among the ravens of the rocks when I was a dwarf lad. This very height was once named Ravenhill because there was a wise and famous pair, Old Cock and his wife, that lived here above the guard chamber. But I don't suppose that any of that ancient breed linger here now. Look, the old thrush has flown away. Keep watch now and see what happens. How did your people understand the raven? They spoke in ordinary language and not bird speak. And they lived many a year and their memories were long and they handed on their wisdom to their children. Look, the old thrush has returned and there's an aged raven with him, a most decrepit old bird. son of Thrain, and Valin, son of Fundin. I am Wark, son of Cork. Cork is dead, but he was well known to you once. It is a hundred years and three and fifty since I came out of the egg. Oh, but I do not forget what my father told me. We are few, but we remember still the king that was of old. We are at your service, Roak, son of Gark. We are pleased to see the chief of the great ravens of the mountain. The birds are gathering. What does it mean? Uh, there are tidings from the south. Some are great tidings of joy to you, and some you will not think so good. Quark, word has got out that Smog is dead. Dead? What oh, is? Yes. Impossible. Dead? Then we have been in needless fear, and the treasure is ours. Yes, the treasure is ours. Oh, yes, dead. Yes. The thrush may his feathers never fall, saw him die. They trust his words. He saw him fall in battle with the men of Asgaroth in Lake Town. The third night back from now at the rising of the moon. Yes. We may go back to our halls in safety. All the treasure is ours. So much for joy, Thorinok and Shield. Yes, the treasure is yours for the moment, but many are gathering hither beside the bird. 
for many are eager for a share of the spoil. Already a host of the elves is on the way. The elves? Walk, walk by the lake, men murmur that their sorrows are due to the dwarves, for they are homeless and many have died, and smog has destroyed their town. They too think to find amends from your treasure, whether you are alive or dead. If you will listen to my counsel, oh, do not trust the master of the lake men, but rather him that shot the dragon with his bow. Bard is he of the race of Dale. He is a grim man, but true. Walk, walk, your wisdom must decide your cause. The thirteen is small remnant of the great folk of Durin that once dwelt here. Oh, we would see peace from once more among dwarves and men and elves after the long desolation. Oh, but it may cost you dear in gold. I have spoken. Our thanks, Roak Karkson. You and your people shall not be forgotten, but none of our gold shall thieves take or the violent carry off while we are alive. If you would earn our thanks still more, bring us news of any that draw near. Also, I would beg of you, if any of you are still young and strong of wing, fly to our kin in the mountains of the north and tell them of our plight. But go specially to my cousin Dane in the Iron Hills, for he has many people well armed and dwells nearest to this place. Bid him hasten. I will do what can be done. Now, back to the mountain. We have little time to lose. And little food to use. Back to the mountain! Back to the mountain! We shall defend the home! Back to the mountain! Now, with no fear of the dragon, the dwarves hurried back to the front gate. All the other gates had long ago been broken and blocked by smog, so now they began to labor hard in fortifying the main entrance. For days they worked until the gate was blocked with a wall of squared stones laid dry but very thick and high across the opening. They climbed in and out with ladders, and the only approach to the gate was along a narrow ledge of the cliff. There came a night when suddenly there were many lights as of fires and torches away south in Dale below them. That night the dwarves slept little. The next morning early, a company of spearmen was seen crossing the river and marching up the valley. They bore with them the green banner of the elven king and the blue banner of the lake, and they advanced until they stood right before the wall at the gate. They have come. Who are you that come on for war to the gates of Thorin, son of Thrain, king under the mountain? Hail, Thorin. Why do you fence yourself like a robber in his hold? We are not yet foes, and we rejoice that you are alive beyond our hope. We came expecting to find none living here, yet now that we are met, there is matter for a parley and a council. Who are you, and of what would you parley? I am Bard, and by my hand was the dragon slain and your treasure delivered. I am by right descent the heir of Jurian of Dale, and in your hoard is mingled much of the wealth of his halls and town, which old Smog stole. Are these not matters of which we may speak? I would speak for the people of Lake Town, whose dwellings were destroyed by Smog in his last battle. Have you no thought for their sorrow and misery, who aided you in your distress? Have they no claim upon the treasure? You put your worst cause last and in the chief place. To the treasure of my people no man has a claim, because Smog, who stole it from us, also robbed him of life or home. The treasure was not Smog's that his evil deed should be amended with a share of it. 
the price of the goods and the assistance that we received of the lake men we will fairly pay in due time. But nothing will we give, not even a loaf's worth under threat of horse. While an armed host lies before our doors, we look on you as foes and thieves. I ask you, what share of the wealth would you have paid to our kindred had you found the horde unguarded and us slain? Ah, just question. But you are not dead and we are not robbers. Still, my other claims remain unanswered. I will not parley, as I have said, with armed men in my gate, nor at all with the people of the Elven King, whom I remember with small kindness. Be gone now, ere our elves fly. We will give you time to repent your words. Gather your wisdom ere we return. <laughs> Ere many hours were passed, the banner-bearers returned, and trumpeters stood forth and blew a blast. In the name of Esgaroth and the forest, we speak under Thorin, Thrain's son, Oakenshield, calling himself the king under the mountain, and we bid him consider well the claims that have been urged or be declared our foe. At the least, he shall deliver one twelfth portion of the treasure unto Bard as the dragon slayer and as the heir of Jerion. From that portion, Bard will himself contribute to the aid of Eskaroth or Lake Town. The treasure is mine. Then Thorin seized a bow of horn and shot an arrow at the messenger. It smote into his shield and stuck there, quivering. Since such is your answer, I declare the mountain besieged. You shall not depart from it until you call for a truce and a parley. We will bear no weapons against you, but we leave you to your gold. You may eat that, if you will. the days passed slowly and wearily. Many of the dwarves spent their time piling and ordering the treasure. Again and again Thorin spoke of the Arkenstone of Thrain and bade them eagerly to look for it in every corner. The Arkenstone of my father is worth more than a river of gold in itself, and to me it is beyond price. That stone of all the treasure I claim for myself, and I will be avenged on anyone who finds it and withholds it. Look, it is the old raven again. What news, Roax, son of Garth? Oh, your kinsman Dane from the Iron Hills comes from the northeast. How near is he, and how many come with him? from here and brings more than five hundred dwarves. I fear lest there be battle in the valley, and though they are grim folk, they are not likely to overcome the host that besets you. Walk, even if they did so, what will you gain? Winter and snow are hastening behind them. Oh, how shall you be fed without the friendship and goodwill of the lands about you? The treasure is likely to be your death, though the dragon is no more. Winter and snow will bite both men and elves. With my friends behind them and winter upon them, 
they will perhaps be in softer mood to parley with. That night, Bilbo made up his mind. The beginnings of a plan had come into his little head. As soon as it was full dark, he took the Arkham stone from beneath his pillow, drew a rope from his bundle, then climbed to the top of the wall where Bomber stood watch. It's mighty cold, Mr. Baggins. I wish we could have a fire up here as they have down in the camp. It's warm enough inside. I dare say, but I'm bound here till midnight. Oh, a sorry business altogether. Not that I venture to disagree with Thorin. May his beard grow ever longer. Yet he was ever a dwarf with a stiff neck. Yes, it's quite unpleasant. Listen, I'll take your turn at watch, if you like. There's no sleep in me tonight. You're a good fellow, Mr. Baggins, and I'll take your offer kindly. If there's anything to note, rouse me first, mind you. Off you go. I'll wake you at midnight, and you can wake the next watchman. Now to slip on my ring, climb down the wall, and be off. I've got about five hours. He quickly made his way toward the encampment in the valley. At last he came to the bend in the stream where he had to cross if he was to make for the camp as he wished. It was not easy for the little hobbit, but he was nearly across when he missed his footing on a round stone and fell into the cold water with a splash. What was that? That was no fish. There's a spy about. Hide your lights. It'll help him more than us. If it's that odd little creature, that's the servant of the dwarves. Servant indeed. I'll just slip the ring off and let them have a look at me in my armor. Let's have a light. I'm here if you want me. The elves fell upon him and took him to the large tent where both the elven king and bard sat before a warm fire. Soon the hobbit sat there too, drying off, still wearing his elvish armor and partly wrapped in an old blanket. Really, you know things are impossible. Personally, I'm tired of the whole affair. I wish I was back in the West, in my own home, where folk are more reasonable. But I have an interest in this matter, one-fourteenth share to be precise, according to a letter which, fortunately, I believe I've kept. A share in the profits, mind you. Personally, I'm only too ready to consider all your claims carefully and deduct what's right from the total before putting in my own claim. However, you don't know Thorin Oakenshield as well as I do. I assure you he's quite ready to sit on a heap of gold and starve as long as you sit here. Well, let him. Such a fool deserves to starve. I see your point of view. At the same time, winter is coming on fast. Before long, you'll be having snow, and supplies will be difficult, even for elves. And there'll be other difficulties. You've not heard of Dane and the dwarves of the Iron Hills? We have a long time ago. But what has he got to do with us? I thought as much. I see I have some information that you haven't. Dane is now less than two days' march off, and has at least 500 grim dwarves with him. Why do you tell us this? Are you betraying your friends? Or are you threatening us? My dear Bard, don't be so hasty. I never met such suspicious folk. I'm merely trying to avoid trouble for all concerned. Now, I'll make you an offer. Mm, let's hear it. You may see it. It is this. The Arkenstone of Thrain. Oh. The heart of the mountain. I've heard of it before. It's also the heart of Thorin. He values it above a river of gold. I give it to you to aid in your bargaining. But how is it yours to give? Well, it isn't exactly, but I'm willing to let it stand against all my claim. I may be a burglar, but I'm an honest one, more or less. Anyway, I'm going back now. I hope you'll find it useful. Mirabeau Baggins, you are more worthy to wear the armor of elf princes than many that have looked more comely in it. But I wonder if Thorin Oakenshield will see it so. I advise you to remain with us. Thank you very much, but I don't think I ought to leave my friends like this, after all we've gone through together. And I promise to wake old Bomber at midnight. Really, I must be going, and quickly. Nothing they could say would stop him, so an escort was provided for him.
As they passed through the camp, an old man wrapped in a dark cloak rose from a tent door where he was sitting and came towards them. Well done, Mr. Baggins. There's always more about you than anyone expects. Gandalf, where did you come from? How did you get... <laughs> All in good time. Things are drawing towards the end now, unless I'm mistaken. There's an unpleasant time just in front of you. But keep your heart up. You may come through all right. There's news brewing that even the ravens haven't heard. Good night. Good night. Good night, Gandalf. Puzzled but cheered, Bilbo hurried on. He was guided to a safe ford and set across dry, and before midnight he was back at the gate. He woke up Bomber, and then rolled himself up in his corner and was soon fast asleep, forgetting all his worries till the morning. As a matter of fact, he was dreaming of eggs and bacon. A company of twenty or so is approaching. I see Bard and the Elven King among them. And an old man wrapped in cloak and hood who is bearing a strong casket of iron-bound wood. Ah, I suppose they've heard of the coming of Dane. I thought that would alter their mood. Hail, Thorin. Are you still of the same mind? My mind does not change with the rising and setting of a few suns. The elf host has not departed. Till then you come in vain to bargain with me. Is there then nothing for which you would yield any of your gold? Nothing that you or your friends have to offer. What of this? The Arken Stone of Thrain. Oh. What's that? That stone was my father's and is mine. How came you to have the heirloom of my house? We are not thieves. Your own we will give back in return for our own. How came you by it? I gave it to them. No. You, you miserable hobbit, you undersized burglar. By the beard of Durin, I wish I had Gandalf here. Curse him for his choice of you. May his beard wither. As for you, I'll throw you to the rock. Hey, your wish is granted. Here is Gandalf, and none too soon, it seems. If you don't like my burglar, please don't damage him. Put him down and listen first to what he has to say. You all seem in league. Never again will I have dealings with any wizard or his friends. Now, what have you to say, you descendant of rats? Dear me, this is all very uncomfortable. You may remember saying that I might choose my own fourteenth share. Take it that I have disposed of my share as I wished and let it go at that. I will. And I'll let you go at that, and may we never meet again. For the Arkenstone, I will give one fourteenth share of the hoard in silver and gold, setting aside the gems. That shall be accounted the promised share of this, this traitor! Now get down to your friends, or I'll throw you down. Time was when you seemed to think that I had been of some service. Descendant of rats, indeed. You're not making a very splendid figure as king under the mountain, Thorin. But things may change yet. They may indeed. Farewell, dwarves. We may meet again as friends. Be off! You have a coat of mail upon you. It was made by my folk, and it is too good for you. It cannot be pierced by arrows, but if you don't hasten, I'll sting your miserable feet. So be swift. So Bilbo joined Gandalf and Bard, and together they returned to the camp in the valley. That day passed, and the night 
The next day, the wind shifted west and the air was dark and gloomy. Runners came to report that Dane and his army of dwarves had come. Each one was clad in a hauberk of steel mail that hung to his knees, and his legs were covered with hose of a fine and flexible metal mesh, the secret of whose making was possessed by Dane's people. The dwarves were exceedingly strong for their height, and in battle they wielded heavy two-handed mattocks. Each of them had also a short broadsword at his side and a round shield slung at his back. Their beards were forked and plaited and thrust into their belts. Their caps were of iron and they were shod with iron and their faces were grim. Trumpets called men and elves to arms. Before long the dwarves could be seen coming into the valley at a great pace. Soon they had advanced along the eastern bank. Suddenly, without a signal, they sprang silently forward to attack. Bows twanged and arrows whistled from the arches hidden above in the rocks of the mountain. Still more suddenly, a darkness came on with dreadful swiftness. A black cloud hurried over the sky. Winter thunder on a wild wind rolled roaring up and rumbled in the mountain, and lightning lit its peak. And beneath the thunder another blackness could be seen whirling forward. But it did not come with the wind. It came from the north, like a vast cloud of birds, so dense that no light could be seen between their wings. Gandalf, standing alone, with arms uplifted between the advancing dwarves and the ranks awaiting them, cried out in a voice like thunder, and his staff blazed forth with a flash like the lightning. Dread has come upon you all! The goblins are upon you! Balg of the North is coming, O Dane, whose father you slew in Moria! Behold, the bats are above his army like a sea of locusts! They ride upon wolves, and wolves are in their train! Come, there is yet time for counsel! Let Dane come swiftly to us! So began a battle that none had expected, and it was called the Battle of the Five Armies, and it was very terrible. Upon one side were the goblins and the wild wolves, and upon the other were elves and men and dwarves. The goblins were the foes of all. So the army of Dane, the warriors of the elven king, and the men who followed Bard took their places at the mountain, hoping to lure the goblins into the valley between the arms of the mountain. On the southern spur, in its lower slopes and in the rocks at its feet, the elves were set. On the eastern spur were men and dwarves. As Gandalf had hoped, the goblin army poured in rage into the valley. Their banners were countless, black and red, and they came on like a tide in fury and disorder. The elves were the first to charge. Their hatred for the goblins is cold and bitter. Their spears and swords shone in the gloom with a gleam of chill flame, so deadly was the wrath of the hands that held them. As soon as the goblin host was dense in the valley, the elves sent against it a shower of arrows, and each flickered as it fled, as if with stinging fire. Behind the arrows, a thousand of their spearmen leapt down and charged. The yells were deafening. The rocks were stained black with goblin blood. Just as the goblins were recovering from the onslaught of the elf charge, there rose from across the valley a deep-throated roar with cries of Moria and Dane, Dane, the dwarves of the Iron Hills plunged in, wielding their mattocks, and beside them came the men of the lake with long swords. Panic came upon the goblins, and many were flying back down the river to escape from the trap. Many of their own wolves were turning upon them and rending the dead and wounded. 
but only the first onslaught of the black tide had been stemmed. As the day drew on, a host of wargs came ravening, and with them came the bodyguard of Bolg, goblins of huge size with scimitars of steel. As darkness fell from a stormy sky, great bats swirled about the heads and ears of elves and men, or fastened vampire-like on the stricken. Now Bard was fighting to defend the eastern spur, and yet giving slowly back and the elf lords were at bay about their king upon the southern arm of the mountain. They had forgotten Thorin. Out leapt the king under the mountain and his companions followed him. Hood and cloak were gone. They were in shining armor and red light leapt from their eyes. In the gloom, the great dwarf gleamed like gold in a dying fire. Wolf and rider fell or fled before them. Thorin wielded his axe with mighty strokes, and nothing seemed to harm him. To me! To me, elves and men! To me, oh my Down rushed all the dwarves of Dane. Down too came many of the lake men. And out upon the other side came many of the spearmen of the elves. Once again the goblins were stricken in the valley and they were piled in heaps till Dale was dark and hideous with their corpses. But among the goblin dead lay many men and many dwarves and many a fair elf that should have lived yet long ages merrily in the wood. But Thorin and his followers were too few. Soon the attackers were attacked. The bodyguard of Bolg came howling against them and drove in upon their ranks like waves upon cliffs of sand. On all this Bilbo looked with misery. He had put on his ring early in the business and vanished from sight, if not from all danger. A magic ring of that sort is not a complete protection in a goblin charge, nor does it stop flying arrows and wild spears. But it does help in getting out of the way, and it prevents your head from being specially chosen for a sweeping stroke by a goblin swordsman. It will not be long now before the goblins win the gate and we're all slaughtered or driven down and captured. Really, it's enough to make one weep. I'd rather old Smog had been left with all the wretched treasure than that these vile creatures should get it. And poor old Bumber and Balin and Feely and Keely and all the rest come to a bad end. And Bard, too, and the lake men and the merry elves. The clouds were torn by the wind and a red sunset slashed the west. Seeing the sudden gleam in the gloom, Bilbo looked and saw dark shapes, small yet majestic against the distant glow. The eagles! The eagles! The eagles are coming! Soon the elves and dwarves took up the cry and it echoed across the valley. But at that moment a stone hurtling from above smoked heavily on Bilbo's helm and he fell with a crash and knew no more. When Bilbo came to himself, he was literally by himself. No one was near. He was shaking and as chilled as stone, but his head burned with fire. Oh, oh my head. Now I wonder what's happened. At any rate, I'm not yet one of the fallen heroes, but I suppose there's still time enough for that. Baggins! Bilbo Baggins! Hello there! Hello there! What news? What voice is it that speaks among the stones? Well, I'm blessed. This invisibility has its drawbacks after all. I'd better remove the ring. It's me, Bilbo Baggins! It's well I've found you. You're needed, and we've looked for you long. Gandalf has had us searching all morning. Are you much hurt? A nasty knock on the head, I think. 
But I have a helm and a hard skull. All the same, I feel sick and my legs are like straws. I'll carry you down to the camp in the valley. Live after all, I am glad. I began to wonder if even your luck would see you through. Your arm's in a sling. Oh, terrible business, and it nearly was disastrous. There are few unharmed in all our host. But come inside the tent you're called for. Hail, Thorin. I have brought him. Farewell, good thief. I go now to the halls of waiting to sit beside my fathers until the world is renewed. Since I leave now all gold and silver and go where it is of little worth, I wish to part in friendship from you, and I would take back my words and deeds at the gate. Farewell, King Under the Mountain. This is a bitter adventure, if it must end so. Not a mountain of gold can amend it. Yet I'm glad that I have shared in your perils. That has been more than any Baggins deserves. No, there is more in you of good than you know, child of the kindly West. Some courage and some wisdom, blended in measure. If more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold it would be a merrier world but sad or merry i must leave it now farewell farewell then bilbo turned away and he went by himself and sat alone wrapped in a blanket and he wept until his eyes were red and his voice was hoarse. He was a kindly little soul. Indeed, it was long before he had the heart to make a joke again. Later, he learned from Gandalf how the battle had ended. And so the eagles from the Misty Mountains came to our aid. Yes, watching the gathering of the goblins, they too had gathered in great numbers. With their help, the tide of the battle turned, but even with the eagles, we were still outnumbered. In that last hour, Bjorn himself had appeared. Bjorn? Oh, no one knew how or from where. He came alone and in bear's shape, and he seemed to have grown almost to giant size in his wrath. The roar of his voice was like drums and guns, and he tossed wolves and goblins from his path like straws and feathers. It was Bjorn who stooped and lifted Thorin, who had fallen pierced with spears, and bore him out of the fray. Swiftly he returned, and his wrath was redoubled, so that nothing could withstand him, and no weapon seemed to bite upon him. He scattered the bodyguard and pulled down Balg himself and crushed him. Then dismay fell on the goblins, and they fled in all directions. Some of the dwarves and men and elves are still pursuing them. Where are the eagles? Some are in the hunt, but most have gone back to their eyries. Dane has crowned their chief with gold and sworn friendship with them forever. I'm sorry. What? I, I mean, I, I should have liked to see them again. I'm almost afraid to ask, but what of my companions in Thorin's company? Of the thirteen, ten remain. Feely and Keely fell defending Thorin with shield and body, for he was their mother's elder brother. The others are with Dane. He has become king under the mountain. And the treasure? Dane has given a fourteenth share of all the silver and gold to Bard, who has divided it to his followers and friends freely and fairly. There will be a great reward for you, Mr. Baggins. My reward would be to return to my home. Will I be going soon? As soon as you like. In the next few days, Bilbo prepared to set out for his home in the Shire. But first, they buried Thorin deep beneath the mountain, and Bard laid the Arkenstone upon his breast. 
There, let it lie till the mountain falls. May it bring good fortune to all his folk that dwell here after. Upon his tomb the elven king then laid Orchrist, the elvish sword that had been taken from Thorin when he was captured in Mirkwood. It is said in songs that it gleamed ever in the dark if foes approached, and the fortress of the dwarves could not be taken by surprise. Then he took his leave of the remaining companions of Thorin and Bard, who had prepared a great treasure for Bilbo. This treasure is as much yours as it is mine, though old agreements cannot stand, since so many have a claim in its winning and defense. Even though you were willing to lay aside all your claim, I should wish to reward you most richly of all. Very kind of you, but really it's a relief to me. How on earth should I have got all that treasure home without war and murder all along the way? I'll take only these two small chests, one filled with silver and the other with gold. That's quite as much as I can manage. Farewell, Balin, and farewell, Dwalin. Farewell, dwarves. May your beards never grow thin. Goodbye, Bergen. And farewell, Thorin Oakenshield, and Feely and Keely. May your memory never fade. Ah, uh, goodbye, and good luck wherever you fare. If ever you visit us again, when our halls are made fair once more, then the feast shall indeed be splendid. If ever you're passing my way, don't wait to knock. Tea is at four, but any of you are welcome any time. <laughs> Farewell. Farewell. Then he turned away. In company with Gandalf, he rode behind the elven king, and beside them strode Bjorn. He had many hardships and adventures before he got back. The wild was still the wild, and there were many other things in it in those days besides goblins, but he was never in great danger again. For a while, Gandalf and Bilbo stayed at Bjorn's house, but in the early spring they took their leave of Bjorn and passed over the misty mountains. At last they came up the long road and reached the very pass where the goblins had captured them before. By now a bright sun was shining over the outstretched lands. There behind lay Mirkwood, blue in the distance, and far away was the lonely mountain on the edge of eyesight. On its highest peak, snow yet unmelted was gleaming pale. So comes snow after fire, and even dragons have their ending. I wish now only to be in my own armchair. <laughs> It was on May the 1st that the two came back at last to the Valley of Rivendell. The elves of the valley greeted them, and for many days they dwelt with Elrond, who was anxious to hear of their adventures. It was here that Bilbo learned that Gandalf had been to a great council of the White Wizards during his absence from Thorin and company. The great council had driven the necromancer from his dark hold in the south of Mirkwood. At last they said farewell to Elrond, and by June they had arrived at a hill overlooking Bilbo's home. The sight of the place where he was born and bred brought forth a poem. Roads go ever, ever on, over rock and under tree, by caves where never sun has shone, by streams that never find the sea, over snow by winter sown, and through the merry flowers of June, over grass and over stone, and under mountains in the moon. Roads go ever, ever on, under cloud and under star, yet feet that wandering have gone turn at last to home afar. Eyes that fire and sword have seen, and horror in the halls of stone, look at last on meadows green. And trees and hills they long have known. <laughs> My dear Bilbo, something's the matter with you. You are not the hobbit that you were. I suppose not. And it appears my home is not the same either. Look, 
having an auction. <laughs> yes. It was an auction indeed. He had arrived back in the middle of an auction in which the effects of the late Bilbo Baggins Esquire of Bag End, Underhill, Hobbiton, were being disposed of by Bilbo's cousins, the Sackville Bagginses. They were, in fact, busy measuring his wounds to see if their own furniture would fit. It was quite a long time before Mr. Baggins was, in fact, admitted to be alive again. The people who had got specially good bargains at the sale took a deal of convincing, and in the end Bilbo had to buy back quite a lot of his own furniture. The Sackville Bagginses never admitted that the returned Baggins was genuine, and they were not on friendly terms with Bilbo ever after. As for Bilbo, he took to writing poetry and visiting the elves. And though few hobbits believed any of his tales and shook their heads and touched their foreheads and called him poor old Baggins, he remained very happy to the end of his days, and those were extraordinarily long. One autumn evening, some years afterwards, Bilbo was sitting in his study and writing his memoirs. He thought of calling them There and Back Again, A Hobbit's Holiday when there was a ring at the door. Gandalf and Balin, come in, come in! Let me take your hoods! <laughs> Not another party, I hope. Oh, no, no, just a friendly <laughs> visit, my dear Bilbo. Well, how are things in the lands of the mountains? Very well, very well indeed. Bard has rebuilt the town of Dale, and Lake Town has been refounded, and there is friendship between elves and dwarves and men. Yeah. They are making songs which say that the rivers run with gold. Then the prophecies of the old songs have turned out to be true, after a fashion. Of course, of course. And, and why shouldn't they prove true? Surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck just for your sole benefit? <laughs> You're a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I'm very fond of you, but you are are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. The concluding program, adapted for radio by Bob Lewis, and featuring Ray Reinhardt as Bilbo, Bernard Mays as Gandalf, Tom Luce as Thorin, Eric Bowersfeld as Bard, Pat Franklin as Roak and the Elf King, and Gail Chug as the narrator.